Thank you, Matt. Well, good morning, and welcome once again to the Family Bible Hour. Once again, we resume our studies this morning on the book of Exodus with our main text coming from chapter 9, and Lord willing, we shall attempt to, over the next uh, few minutes, cover the entire 35 verses. Our thanks, as always, to Luke for reading this chapter for us and refreshing our minds as to its content. So again, thank you, Luke. I trust that you all still have your copies of the false gods of Egypt, which were handed out to you two weeks ago, because we shall be referring to them throughout this entire series. So please do not misplace them or discard them but keep them neatly folded in your Bibles. And if you're uh, missing yours and would like another copy, then see me later on. But before we begin our message, let's, as always, turn to the Lord in prayer first. Our Father and our God, we're so thankful to be here again this morning to study thy word. And Lord, we're thankful that we in this generation do have the privilege of owning our own Bibles, that we can search thy word at any time, at any place. And as we open thy scriptures this morning, Lord Jesus, we pray that the Spirit of God will be pleased to illuminate our understanding as to the texts before us and what his will is for each and every one of us concerning this text. Help us to focus and to concentrate on what was written for us some thousands of years before. But we ask it always in our Savior's name and for his glory. Amen. In our last message, we tackled the eighth chapter of the book of Exodus. As we looked at the plagues of frogs, lice, and flies and the devastation that they had on the land and on the people of Egypt. We saw also that during the plague of lice, the magicians of Egypt confessed both to Pharaoh and to Moses that this is the finger of God, meaning, of course, that God himself was the maker of this particular plague. They realized that when they were not able to duplicate a similar result. And in the process of these judgments, which the Lord brought upon Egypt and Pharaoh, we saw that their purpose was not only to judge Pharaoh for his defiant utterance in Exodus 5.2, you'll recall, he said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I know not the Lord, neither will I let Israel go. But at the same time, these plagues were meant to destroy ten of the main false deities of Egypt so that Pharaoh and the Egyptian people would know experientially who the Lord, the one true living God, really was and that he was the God of Israel. Therefore, we have seen thus far the demise of four false gods of Egypt. Number one, Hapi, 
their god of the Nile. Two, Hecate, their goddess of fertility. Three, Geb, their god of the earth. And four, Kepri, their god of creation. None of these false deities was able to undo what the Lord God brought upon Egypt in the way of judgment. Nevertheless, just as the Lord had told Moses, Pharaoh would not relent to let his people go until, until the very last plague or judgment which the Lord would bring upon Pharaoh, that of the death of the firstborn of all of Egypt, both man and beast. Thus we see Pharaoh, who has hardened his heart and still refusing to let Israel go. And what a tragic situation to be in. Pharaoh, who because of his pride refused to face reality concerning this matter. Deep down inside, he, I'm certain, must have known that sooner or later he would have to let Israel go. But because of what has already transpired, he finds himself greatly exposed and proven to be completely incapable of stemming the tide of battle to his advantage. His people are suffering. His magicians are disarmed of their evil powers and rendered completely helpless, while he, Pharaoh, must suffer the greatest fear that despots all have, the fear of humiliation before his people and complete loss of control. You see, dear friends, the cruelty of this sin nature. Even when we have lost so much and it is time to cut those losses and confess our sin, admit our failures, and do what needs to be done, correct our behavior, we don't. And more often than not, sin, that cruel slave master, will not allow one to do that, and so the soul continues along its path of destruction. And how often does the Bible warn us about refusing to repent, about changing our ways, about turning to God, the only one who can help to put our lives back on track. Psalm 10, verse 4 says, that the wicked through the pride of his countenance will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. Twice in the book of Proverbs, we are warned that there is a way which seemeth right unto a man but the end thereof are the ways of death. Proverbs 14.12 and Proverbs 16.25. And then in Proverbs 16.18 we read, Pride goeth before destruction, and a haughty spirit before a fall. And fall Pharaoh would, as we shall see in chapters 12 to 14. But now we open the ninth chapter of Exodus with the Lord instructing Moses of his next plague in verses 1 to 7, that of a very grievous moraine. Verse 3. Now it seems that there is great uncertainty as to the exact nature of this particular disease, this moraine. 
What were its symptoms? How quickly did it spread and so on? We don't know. But what we do know for certain is that it was fatal, 100% fatal. For we are told in verse 6 that all, A-L-L, all the cattle of Egypt that were in the fields died. Now I would like for us to notice at least four significant things here. Number one, God appointed a set time for this plague to begin tomorrow. Time is in the hands of the Almighty. He and he alone controls the time of circumstances. He alone knows what tomorrow will bring and how everything will unravel. The Bible warns us in Proverbs 27, 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. And then in James 4, 14, we are reminded once again, Whereas ye know not what shall be on the morrow. We all have today. Tomorrow is never guaranteed to any of us. That is why here, we at Faith Bible Assembly always plead with you to make sure that you are in Christ. That you have repented of your sins and have turned to Christ for forgiveness because tomorrow may be too late. For many, tomorrow may never come. Number two, this time we do not see the outstretched arm of Aaron and his rod, but rather we are told in verse three, Behold, the hand of the Lord is upon thy cattle, which is in the field, upon the horses, upon the asses, upon the camels, upon the oxen, and upon the sheep. There shall be a very grievous moraine. Though the Lord often uses frail human vessels for his work, he nonetheless is never dependent on any of them. For he alone is sovereign and he will perform whatever he desires. Number three, God always gives a warning before his hand of judgment falls. In verse 2, once again, God tells Pharaoh, Let my people go, that they may serve me. They are his people, and God will always protect and provide for his own. Thus, since they are his people, he is therefore their God. And if God's warnings are not heeded, if his offer of mercy is refused, then his hand of judgment must fall. And to make sure that Pharaoh understands this clearly, God once again puts a difference between Pharaoh's people and Israel. For he tells Pharaoh in verse 4, And the Lord shall sever between the cattle of Israel and the cattle of Egypt. And finally, number 4, the plague literally wiped out all the cattle of Egypt that were in the fields and simultaneously destroying the false god Apis, A-P-I-S, the bull cult god, and Hathor, H-A-T-H-O-R, the goddess of cattle. It was in Egypt, here, 
that the children of Israel learned how to make an idol out of a calf, as we shall see later on in Exodus 32. But please notice what Pharaoh does in verse 7. He sends scouts, so to speak, to spy out the land of Goshen where the children of Israel lived. And it was verified that indeed not a single animal of the Israelites died. This should have greatly shaken Pharaoh. But instead, we are told, Pharaoh was hardened and he did not let the people go. Then we read in verse 8, another plague was summoned immediately afterwards. Again, there is no indication of the time period after the plague of Moraine. Neither do we have any evidence of whether the people had time to bury and dispose of the dead bodies of all of these animals. For surely the land must have festered with rotting carcasses filling the air with an unbearable stench. Nevertheless, God instructs Aaron and Moses to take handfuls of ashes of the furnace and let Moses sprinkle them toward heaven in the sight of Pharaoh, verse 8, so that it would become a dust covering the entire land of Egypt. This would break out as a plague of boils, infecting both man and beast, including the magicians who were severely infected as well, for we are told that they could not stand before Moses because of the boils, verse 11. They who dared to challenge God with their evil incantations were now physically afflicted and removed from the scene by this serious infection. This plague of boils and blame would cause great discomfort and severe pain as these boils would fester and burst with pus, causing more infection because of the many open wounds. Even the soles of the feet were covered, making it difficult to walk or even to stand. When it was all over, we can imagine that great scars would be left on their bodies as a constant reminder of this tragic day. The scriptures say that these boils infected both man and beast. The previous plague of Moraine had taken its toll upon all the large livestock that were left in the fields, verse 3. Now the rest of the beasts were infected. All that had been previously sheltered, as well as perhaps both wild and domestic fowls, personal pets, etc., these boils were excruciatingly painful. And yet in spite of all of the suffering and devastation, Pharaoh still refused to budge and let Israel go. So hardened was his heart that he would rather endure the pain than to relent. Well, dear friends, do you see how terrifying this scene is? As sin can sometimes be so deeply entrenched in a soul that the sinner would rather die and depart to a Christless eternity than to repent 
and confess his or her sins. Many are like that around us today. Their lifestyle of crime and violence or drug and alcohol addiction or a life of unbridled sex addiction has completely rendered them slaves of sin, totally incapable of returning to their senses without the direct intervention of God Almighty on their behalf. The Bible warns us about this in 1 Timothy 4.2. Those whose consciences have been seared, they speak lies in hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. What does that mean, to have the conscience seared with a hot iron? That is a very frightening thing. It is the place where the voice of God is no longer listened to. The place where the voice of God no longer affects their actions. Though they can still hear the voice of God, they no longer respond to it. They are quite happy to ignore it. They have lost their moral compass. There is no sense of right and wrong anymore. No truth, no error. Neither the desire to seek what is good. Again, Pharaoh's pride would not allow him to let Israel go. Thus we see yet another false deity of Egypt destroyed. Isis. I-S-I-S. S, the goddess of medicine and peace. Verse 12 clearly reveals Pharaoh's continued obstinacy, for the scriptures now say, And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, and he hearkened not unto them as the Lord had spoken unto Moses. The Lord now hardened Pharaoh's heart. Then in our next section of scripture, verses 13 to 35, we have presented before us the seventh plague, the plague of hailstones and fire. But this portion of scripture seems to have another division within itself as well. The first part, verses 13 to 21, deals with the conversation between God and Moses concerning the nature of of the next plague and revelation why God is doing all of this. While the second division, verses 22 to 35, deals with the actual performance of the plague and its devastating effects on the land of Egypt. And for the first time, here we have Pharaoh's confession of sin even though it is not one that is genuinely heartfelt. Thus, as we go back to the first division, verses 13 to 22, we notice at least four significant facts. Number one, for the seventh time, God instructs Moses to command Pharaoh to let my people go, that they may serve me. God is persistent. Unlike man, God does not give up or accommodate his instructions to circumstances. He who sees the end from the beginning always charts the proper course 
knowing exactly what each circumstance will bring. Number two, in verses 14 to 19, Moses is to give Pharaoh the reasons why these plagues have been brought upon Pharaoh and the land of Egypt. It is to show them that there is none like me in all the earth. Verse 14. Through these plagues, Pharaoh and the Egyptian people will learn experientially that there is no other God in all the earth. All of their so-called gods are false gods. All a fabrication of their vain imaginations. And none of those gods are capable of the slightest help in time of need. This message is directed personally to Pharaoh, for the Lord uses the singular form of you throughout. Thou, thee, thy, etc. Number three, these plagues are also brought upon Pharaoh and the Egyptian people for their treatment of the children of Israel, for enslaving them and for inflicting them, all in the keeping of his promise to Abraham. And I will bless them that bless thee and curse him that curseth thee. Genesis 12, 3. For the Lord tells him in verses 16 to 17, And in very deed for this cause have I raised thee up for to show in thee my power, and that my name may be declared throughout all the earth. And as yet exaltest thyself against my people, that thou wilt not let them go? Because of this, I will cause such a hail to fall in Egypt as has never been seen since the foundation of the world, or as they put it here, since the foundation of the nation of Egypt. And then number four, though God's hand of judgment will fall tomorrow, yet God shows mercy to all those who might repent and believe. And so in verses 19 to 20, the Lord instructs or provides a way of escape, so to speak. Send therefore now, and gather thy cattle and all that thou hast in the field. For upon every man and beast which shall be found in the field, and shall not be brought home, the hail shall come down upon them, and they shall die. Now notice carefully verse 20. He that feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh made his servants and his cattle flee into the houses. There we see the grace of God so beautifully displayed. God will spare all who believe his word. The Bible says in 2 Peter 3, 9, that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. He is, as the scriptures say, long-suffering toward us all. Thus, those of the people of Israel who obeyed God's promise lived, while those who regarded not the word of God perished. There are so many today also who are 
disregarding the word of God, and who too, like those Egyptians who ignored God's warning, will perish one day. And yet there is no need for even a single soul to perish into a Christless eternity. For God has made a way of escape for all who will freely accept. For God so loved the world. That means everybody, every man, every woman, and every child who was ever born or will ever be born. That he gave his only begotten son that whosoever, that means anyone and everyone, believeth in him, should not perish but have everlasting life. Well, dear friends, nothing has changed. Man is still a sinner. Man is still separated from God by sin and needs the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, the only Savior of all mankind. But so many refuse to repent of their sins and bow their knees to him. And because of that, say the scriptures, shall not see wrath, shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him, John 3:36. Then we come to the second division, verses 22 to 35, which deals with the actual plague. There was hail and fire mingled with the hail. The thunders and lightnings caused electrical storms of catastrophic proportions. The darkened skies and the severe winds brought heart-stopping fear throughout the land of Egypt. The hail killed every man and beast that was left out in the fields, destroying also every herb of the field and breaking every tree of the field as well. Verse 25. Even the flax and the barley was smitten, for the barley was in the ear and the flax was bold. Verse 31. Only of the wheat and the rice, the rye, were spared because they were not yet grown up. But notice, only in the land of Goshen, where the children of Israel were, there was no hail. Verse 26. In the land of Goshen, there were sunny skies and calm weather. There was safety in the land for the children of Israel. Now I would like to note, uh, for us to notice verse 27, which sometimes is overlooked and at least misunderstood. The storm is still raging, and yet somehow Pharaoh makes contact with Moses and Aaron, summoning them both into his presence. For the first time, he makes what seems like a confession of his wickedness and a plea for mercy, followed by a promise that he will let Israel go this time. Moses agrees to his request, but Moses is neither fooled nor naive in thinking that this time it will be different. First, Moses has been thoroughly informed by God how all of this will play out, and that after Moses brings to cessation this seventh plague, the Pharaoh will once again renege on his promise. And secondly, 
Though Pharaoh has witnessed the awesome power of God of Israel, he has not yet fully been convinced that the earth is the Lord's. Verse 29. Though seven false gods of Egypt have been completely destroyed thus far, the latest false deity being Shu, S-H-U, the god of the air, there were yet three more deities of Egypt yet to fall. Nevertheless, Moses would continue to be the intercessor between him, that is Pharaoh, and by extension Egypt, and God. Notice, please, there is an urgent lesson here for all of us this morning. Pharaoh was frightened into submission by this last plague. But when it was completely removed, his conviction of wrongdoing also vanished. And as a result, his promise to let Israel go was soon withdrawn as well. There are many in the churches today that often after being threatened with fiery judgment for their sins, make a false profession of faith. But because there has never been a genuine repentance of sin, they never experience the necessary rebirth, spiritual rebirth, which leads to eternal life. And as a result, they turn their backs on the faith and the God whom they once embraced. So it behooves us all, if we are truly his, that we get our message straight. For only the gospel of Christ is the power of God unto salvation to everyone who believes. But it must never be tampered with, watered down, or trifled with. If, after it has been properly presented, clearly showing the love of God, it must then be followed by the justice of God, which demands the penalty for sin, which is death and eternal separation from God for all eternity in a place called hell. We will all either accept the love of God or we will accept the judgment of God. There is no in-between. We are called to be faithful messengers, not successful messengers. Thus, both our text and our message concludes with verse 35. And the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. Neither would he let the children of Israel go, as the Lord had spoken by Moses. Let's pray. Father, we thank thee for this account of Moses and Aaron and Pharaoh in a spiritual battle to deliver the children of Israel. And because we know the end of the story, we're so thankful that God always gets his way in the end. And so we pray, Father, that as we read thy word on a daily basis, that we might all indeed grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Savior and be drawn closer to him day by day. Part us now with thy blessing, we pray, and 
If the Lord be not come, may it please thee once again to bring us next Lord's Day around his table. For we ask it always in his name and for his glory.